What is Christmas about for you? It's a Christmas sermon, which I haven't not, haven't done before, so this will feel weird. One of the things that I learned here at EBC is being part of this congregation for seven years, seven Christmases, and even before that when I was visiting, is that missions is the purpose of the incarnation. You probably heard that sentence repeated since 9.15 maybe a dozen times. And if you say that a dozen times, it's probably a tongue twister, right? Missions is the purpose of the incarnation. Maybe not. If missions is primarily, as we've talked about, establishing and strengthening churches, it's not really a stretch to say that Christmas is really about the church. We're probably thinking, well, you just spent five months talking about a church, so you see church in everything. Well, in Matthew's gospel account of the Christmas story, an angel told Joseph that Mary, Matthew 1.21, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Who will Jesus save? Who are Jesus' people? Well, the rest of the Bible tells us that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He came to die for the bride, the church. Jesus did not come, Christmas didn't happen, just for Jesus to save individual individual persons. Right? He came to save his people. He came to save his church. So you can say Christmas is about a church. Missions is the purpose of the incarnation. I want to share with you one of our motivations for missions. And then there, there are plenty. Why are we going to the Philippines? That's a complicated question. We have a dozen answers, maybe more, why we're going. But here is one based on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. You can turn to Ephesians. And those who get our monthly newsletter, which you can still sign up for if you want, um, you probably read this phrase or this sentence. It's there all the time, every letter. God's glory in Christ is displayed most visibly through healthy churches. And we are motivated to see that in the Philippines. We are motivated to see more healthy churches in the Philippines. Why? Because we believe that God's glory in Christ is displayed most visibly through healthy churches. But the question is, is that statement correct? Is that statement biblical? Well, let's see as we look at Ephesians. As I argue about the statement that God's glory in Christ is displayed most visibly through healthy churches. I'm going to read Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. And if you would notice as I read a repeated idea, 
mentioned three times, maybe in different ways, but the same concept mentioned three times. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as it shows us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons to Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. So what's the repeated idea? Well, you find it in verse 6, you find it in verse 12, and you find it in verse 14. That's that phrase, to the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. What's going on in this verse? God is doing all these things with this motivation, to the praise of His glory. Three observations from this passage. In the original text, is one sentence. Um, complex sentence, but one sentence. And it lists all our blessings in Christ. But it's not meant to be an exhaustive list. These are not all the blessings we have. All the blessings we have is more than this. But look at this list. Look at, if you're looking for, for, for a gift on a, on a tree, as Ron mentioned, look, look at this. These are the gifts we have in Christ. It's like, um, it's, it's meant to, um, to overwhelm us by surprise. Look at this. It's like introducing a, a professional athlete by listing all its, all his accolades, right? Six-time champion, six-time finals MVP, five-time MVP, 14-time All-Star, two-time Olympic gold medalist from North Carolina. And it's meant to like, whoa, look at who is this guy that's coming. Well, that's what Paul is doing. Look at what God has done for you. Look at all these things. Your, our election, our adoption, our redemption, our forgiveness of sins, future inheritance, sealing of the Spirit, our conversion, all planned out by God for this purpose to the praise of His glory. And who is Paul writing to? Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And it's true that all these things, we could, we could read this and we could, we could, we could personalize it. It's, it's still true. Yes, I've been chosen by God. I've been forgiven for my sins in Christ. I've been, uh, I have, I have, uh, I've been adopted to his family. I have a future inheritance. And, and, and that's all true. 
But if you read the text, Paul is talking to a church, and he is all the all the verbs and the pronouns are all plural. He's not talking about individual that God has done to you, this to you individually. No, he's he's talking about uh, his people. He has chosen this people. He has redeemed this people. He has forgiven the sins of his people. He has a future inheritance for his people. These are all plural verbs and plural nouns. This is what God is doing in saving his people to the praise of his glory. And so this is the first point I'm trying to make. Through the church, through this people that God is saving, God is displaying his glory in Christ. I am saving people and joining them together, putting them in, 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 in assemblies. And what am I doing? I'm doing this to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. God is doing this to glorify himself. And if you're looking at, well, so many things going on in this text, and some of them are even complex, and I don't even understand what they are. And that's why Paul prays in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of him, and open your eyes of your hearts to be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Paul is praying that you would, you would, you would understand these things. And we may not understand it all completely right now, but I, I encourage you to meditate on Ephesians 1 and pray and ask the Spirit to open your eyes and see that I may understand what are these good gifts God has for you. Better than what you will have on any tree in your home. But God, God is not only displaying His, His, His blessing, His spiritual blessings to display His glory in the church, but He's, He's doing this by grace alone. The next chapter, in chapter 2, Paul is switching from, from God's perspective where He has chosen His people before the foundation of the world to, to our perspective that we were once dead in trespasses and sins. Chapter 2, verse 1, you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once live in the passions of our flesh, carrying the desires of our body and the mind, by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But this has changed. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God is doing this by grace. Why? Why is God saving his people from being dead in our sins and rescuing us from that. Why is he doing this? Verse 7, so that, reason, right? So that in the coming ages, he might show or display 
the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's for the purpose that he will display and look, look at the church, people who were living according to their passions and dead in trespasses and sins. Now they're alive in Christ Jesus. How is that? It's by my grace. Look at this. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. All the boasting goes to God. God is the one doing this. We're, we're trophies of God's grace. Well, what do trophies do? What do you do with your trophy? You display it, right? And some people, they even buy a trophy case. Um, I don't have a trophy case. Um, we try to get rid of all our furniture. Um, you, you, you know, if you have a trophy, like, I don't know, Chili Cook-Off Champion 2021, you know? I don't know if it says that on a trophy, but you have a trophy, you display it. And what does it do? It's, it, it, it shows you how, how good you are in, in cooking chili or, you know, that's your glory. That's, hey, look at, look at this. This is my, this is my glory. This is my, this is my trophy. Right? If we are God's trophies, what, what does that mean? That means God is displaying his church and he's saying, look at these people. This people doesn't want anything to do with me. This people are children destined to wrath. These are people who were disobedient. These are people who walked in, in, in darkness of this world. But by my grace, these people now have been saved. Why? Because I was gracious to them. Not by their own doing. Not by our own works. I was gracious to them. And what and what, what would people see when they see that? What would the angelic being say? Oh, wow, what grace. That you have done this to these people who didn't care about you, and yet you still cared about them and rescued them from where they were? That's the grace of God. He's displaying His grace. He's displaying the glories of His grace to the church. When God displays his grace through the salvation of God's people, God is presenting himself as the glorious one. No one has done anything to save himself. God alone gets the glory. Soli Deo Gloria, as the reformers would say. There is nothing we have done to save us. We are dead in trespass. We can't rescue ourselves. It's only God's mercy that reaches down in the darkness of our hearts, keeps knocking, keeps knocking, keeps opening that heart and rescuing us so we will have a changed heart, so we'll be born again, so we would repent and believe. That's the work of God alone. If you're not a Christian, we're thankful that you're able to come and join us in our gathering. I would like, love for you to consider how Christianity is unlike any other religions in this world. In what way? All the religions in this world will tell you you need to do certain things to, to please a deity, to accomplish something or be something. Christianity, true Christianity is the only 
religion of this world that will tell you you cannot do anything to please God. God has to come and rescue you. You have to come. God, save me. I can't save myself. God's salvation is freely offered by grace, not by any works that you have done. Jesus came to earth as a baby so he can live a perfect life, die on the cross to absorb the wrath of God for those who would repent and believe in him. Would you repent from your sins and turn to Jesus alone? And this is why we give all the praise and glory to Jesus because he has done all the work. God has done all the work. That is what's happening um, here, here in this thing. God is displaying his glory. And as we keep reading in Ephesians, if you, Ephesians chapter 2, if we keep reading, um, Paul would, would talk about how Gentiles or non-Jews, called the uncircumcision, were once, verse 12, they were once separated, um, strangers, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. It's the Bible, or the, 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 the gospel was promised through Abraham, and the Gentiles are kind of like the, the strangers and aliens to this. But now, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, because Jesus came, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one, who has broken down in his flesh a dividing wall of hostility, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying that it's true, Jesus' death on the cross, that people, that Jews and Gentiles, who were once in hostility, but because they're now united, one in Christ, they have the same Christ, they believe the same gospel, have now been reconciled. The church is filled with people who have repented and believed in Jesus and are united together. Um, old people and young people, millennials, Gen Z, boomers, and all that I have not mentioned. Sports fans and... Spurgeon, not Spurgeon, Shakespeare lovers. Maybe some Spurgeon fans too. I don't know. Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, business owners, college students, married, single, and in Portland, even Ukrainians and Russians. Aren't they supposed to be in war against each other? What unites them together? The gospel. And you can even say, Palestinians and Jews together, united in Christ, all in one Christ, in one gospel. Verse 19, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being himself the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We are now members of the same household, the church. A new family, a new temple, a new building. 
You're not saved as individuals. You're not meant to be saved and just be by yourself. You're meant to gather with other Christians, to be joining together. And surely this text speaks about the church universal, but, but the local church is a visible manifestation of, of the church. And so you're meant to be part of local churches. Believers who are saved are meant to gather with local churches. And, and, and each one is a display. Each church, each true church that preaches the gospel is a display of God's glory. Look at what God did in saving this people. Look at what God did in His grace alone in uniting people that are so different and yet they're together as one. Look at this. And that is what Paul is doing in Ephesians 1 to 3. And he ends with a prayer. And in this prayer, the benediction ends like ends this way, verse 20, chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him, to God, be glory where? In the church. And in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God is displaying His glory. Church, look at the church and see my glory. That's what God is doing. Look at these people who were once dead in sins and now alive in Christ. How did that happen? My grace. Look, and it displays my glory. Look at at how they have been redeemed and forgiven. And, and adopted and, and chosen. And they have a future inheritance. How did that happen? It's, it's to the praise of God's glory. How are these people different and now together? The church is a display of God's glory. But that's not my argument. My argument is God's glory is displayed most visibly through healthy churches. The first three chapters is just telling us that God's glory is displayed to the church. So any church that preaches the gospel, God's glory is displayed there. But I want to take it a step further and say God's glory is displayed in any church that preaches the gospel. God's glory is displayed there, yes. But God's glory is displayed most visibly through healthy churches. How did I get there? Well, if we keep reading Ephesians, Paul tells us in verse chapter 4, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk, urge you, you church, plural, you plural, you all, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. This is what you have received in Christ. Now, you, live out this reality. You actively display Make it obvious. Make, demonstrate, show the glory of Christ in the church. And how is the church to do that? Chapters 4 to 6, some people call this, you know, the there's five walks in one stand. Uh, there's just different, you know, walk in the light, walk in the spirit. Um, do not walk as Gentiles do. Um, walk in unity, walk, walk worthy, stand against the devil. And that's, that's, that's the next, that's chapters four to six. Um, I want to list them in more tangible ways, right? 
So if a church displays God's glory, healthy churches display God's glory most visibly. If a church displays God's glory, that's true of all true churches, healthy churches display that most visibly. Six ways here from Ephesians. God's glory is displayed most visibly to church unity. When you, Paul, the first thing that Paul talks about here in chapter 4, verse 1 to 6, and we've read this in our reading, is for us to eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Maintain the unity that we already have. Why? Because we have one body, one Spirit, one salvation, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father. This unity is, is, grows into more oneness in the atmosphere of humility and gentleness, putting up with one another in love. When you do that, what are you doing? You are, as a church, displaying the glory that's already there, but you're displaying that most visibly. You are making that, you, what you're doing is you're showing, you're displaying the glory of the unity of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Because they are one. We, are, we want to show you that. How are we showing you that? We're showing you that because we are also maintaining that unity. We are putting up with one another. We are being gentle and humble and kind with one another. What else? The, the next section, uh, we've read some of it. God's glory is displayed most visibly through godly leaders with gifts for preaching, evangelism, and discipleship and sound doctrine. Verse 7, God gave some gifts. What are the gifts? The gifts are people, apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers. What are they to do? They're to use their gifts. They're there to evangelize. They're, they're to teach. But for what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Verse 12. For the building of the body of Christ. Who does the work of the ministry? It's the church. And the leaders are supposed to equip you so that the church will do the work of the ministry. So we have in the order of worship for the ministers. Who are the ministers of Emmanuel Bible Church? The congregation at large, that's what it says. I think that's what it says last time I read it, um, unless they changed it since I was gone. The congregation at large. So it's the role of the church leaders to equip the saints for the ministry, as, and the whole church are the ones doing the ministry. What's the goal? Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, so we would know Christ to mature manhood, so we be mature believers, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. What does, this, what does this look like tangibly? This is a culture of discipleship. We're doing the ministry together. We're evangelizing together. God has gifted some evangelists to equip the saints to be evangelists. Oh, I'm gifted as an evangelist, not so I can do all the evangelism in the church. No, so I can equip the saints so they can also do evangelism. And we all do evangelism together. There's pastors and teachers to equip the saints so we all be united together and grow in maturity in Christ. We disciple one another. Why? Verse 14 and 15. So that we will be no longer children tossed to and fro by waves and carried away by every wind of doctrine, 
by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in a way into him who is the head into Christ. To maturity in Christ. A church growing in sound doctrine, in evangelism, in discipleship, is a church that is displaying the glory of God most visibly. Next, God's glory is displayed most visibly through holy living and meaningful membership. Chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say, I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk like the Gentiles. In what way? In futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. What is Paul saying? You're not supposed to walk like your life should be different from people who don't know Jesus because you have learned Jesus. Why does Paul know that they have learned Jesus? Well, he assumes, assuming that you have heard about him. I'm assuming that you have heard about it. Why? Because you're a member of this church. You can't be a member of this Ephesian church that you don't know Christ. Paul is saying, I'm assuming that you have heard about Christ and you were taught about Christ by you being a member of this Ephesian church. Notice two more things. Notice verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? Why are you going to speak the truth? For we are members one of another. I don't know why people would say membership is not in the Bible. It's, it's pretty clear in Ephesians and other pages. Why are we to be truthful together? Because we're fellow church members together. We're members one of another. Why are we not to live like the Gentiles, the, the non-Christians in the impurity? Why are we to live the distinct? And holy life. Why do that? Because we're assuming, because you've been part of this body, we're assuming that you have learned Christ. And that is not how Christ is. So by holy living and meaningful membership, a church is actually displaying the glory of Christ. Most visibly. One last thing. The last verse. And you can do this with every single thing that's here in this list of ethical commands here. But the last verse, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That you again is plural, as Christ forgave you all. And again, how, who are you to be kind to? To one another. Paul is assuming in the context of an assembly. He's speaking to an assembly. He's speaking to a church. He's speaking to a congregation. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. In doing so, what are you doing? You are displaying the forgiveness that God has done in you. You're displaying the gospel. You're displaying the glory of God in the gospel. So when we are kind, when we're forgiving, we're displaying God's glory most visibly, most tangibly. When we say, oh, the church displays God's glory, that feels like, you know, something's 
great sounding, but I can't imagine what really, how, how does that really look like? Here I'm putting hands and I'm putting feet to what it means for the church to display the glory of God. It's when you forgive. It's when you are kind to one another. Because Christ has forgiven you. You're displaying that glory of God in the gospel. You do this also in corporate worship. Verse 18, chapter 5, verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is all in plural. As we all sing together, we're displaying God's glory most visibly. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Number five, God's glory is displayed most visibly through healthy family relationships in the church. Displaying the gospel applies to all groups here. Let me highlight two things. Paul connects the husband's sacrificial love, chapter 5, verse 21, to chapter 6 here. Paul connects the husband's sacrificial love for his wife as Christ's love for his church. So this means when husbands of this congregation love their wives the same way that Christ has loved the church by dying to self as Christ died for his bride, husbands of this congregation, you are displaying Christ's love for his church. That's what you're doing. I'm putting hands and feet to what we display and show. And who is watching? The cosmos is watching. The angelic beings are watching. And people around us are watching. Therefore, God's glory is displayed most visibly when husbands of this congregation love their wives like Christ loves the church. It's the same way for children. Children, why should you obey your parents? Well, most of the things they say is good for you. Maybe there are some things that are probably like, oh, I don't know about that. You know, 1% or 2% of what they tell you to do. Most of them are good for you. But Scripture says, obey it. Why? Because this is right. It's the right thing to do. But right is also an attribute of God. Righteousness. That's the character of God. God does what is right. So children, if you're obeying your parents, you know what you're doing? You're displaying to the world the glory of the righteousness of God. That's not a small thing. Whenever the small act of obedience to your parents, you're saying, world, look, God is a righteous God. This is His glory. And I'm showing that to you by obeying my parents. That's what you should do. What a motivation to obey. Finally, God's glory is displayed most visibly when we fight sin together as a church. Chapter 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you all, plural again, may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you all may be able to withstand in the evil day. 
and having done all to stand firm. If you were like me, who grew up in a Christian home, and you heard this verse many times, I, I, look, I think about the cool armor, uh, the, a picture uh, in a flannel graph in Sunday school of a Roman soldier. That picture is not quite right. It's not one soldier against the devil and his fiery darts, right? It, the picture here is a group of soldiers together. It's, it's plural. It, put on the whole armor of God that you all. Uh, the, the verb put all, it, it, that's a plural verb. And, and I understand you can't see that in, in, in the English text. But that's what's happening here. Is He's talking to a church. He's, the, the audience is the church in Ephesians. You all put on the whole armor. We all together fight sin. You don't fight sin by yourself. And that's why we always lose. We need a brother and sister from this congregation. We need one another. I need you for my sanctification. And when we do that, we're displaying God's glory most visibly the church. Because the church is already a display of God's glory. It's Those are people that he saved. But when we flesh it out, as Paul said, walk worthy of this calling, what we're doing is we're that diamond that displays God's glory, we're rubbing that diamond, making it, removing the dust, right? And making it shine even more by our unity, by fighting sin together, by our relationships, um, by, by, by meaningful membership, by discipleship, by, by all these things. We're rubbing that diamond and making it shine brighter. Display it. Not hiding it under the, the I don't know where you put the diamond, the case. You're putting it out. Wearing it. Displaying it. Showing it. Making it more, more visible for others to see. If you take it even further, today we have an opportunity not just to display God's glory as a church, and we do that as we, when we gather, but we also tangibly display God's glory through the Lord's Supper. Tangibly, because we not only see God in the gospel through the bread and the cup, but we actually could hold the cup and smell it and feel it and taste it. The Lord's Supper reminds us that we were once children Destined for wrath, as Ephesians tells us. But the grace of God through Jesus came. Jesus died for our sins and offers a free gift of salvation to anyone who repents and believes. The Lord's Supper reminds us that our salvation is not by works, but purely by God's grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. If our salvation is by works, then the sacrifice of Christ's death, the pouring of His blood, is not enough. It's, okay, it's good, but it's not, it doesn't take me all the way there. But because it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that I don't add anything, His sacrifice is enough. Pay for all my sins. All of it. All of it. 
all that I have done and, and all that I have don't even know that I have done. And the burden and the shame and the heaviness and the weight, Christ said, I'm paying for it. Would you repent and believe? Would you come follow me? Would you come follow me? I'm taking all of it. All the heartaches, all the things. I'm taking it. Follow me. Would you follow Jesus? And if you have followed Jesus, this is a reminder of that. We renew our, our covenant to this Jesus, to this King. Our, we renew our allegiance. Yes, we follow you. Because there's no greater treasure than Jesus. There's no greater king than him. His sacrifice is sufficient for all our sins, for all our needs. And the Lord's Supper displays God's glory in the church because the Lord's Supper reminds us that God is not only saving individuals. That's why you don't do Lord's Supper at home. That's why you don't do Lord's Supper on a wedding vow. Right? I've, I've attended a wedding that did that. It's weird. It's not for that. That's not the purpose of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a reminder that the many who have been saved have now been one. There's our unity in the gospel. It's a congregation. In the Lord's Supper, we not only renew our commitment to Christ, who loved us and died for us, but we also renew our commitment to one another. If you are a Christian and a baptized believer, this is for you. This is for you. 